Hey, everybody, welcome back to Crafted on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. So you might have noticed that here at Blister, we talk quite a bit about coffee, and you might also know that coffee is one of my favorite things in the world. But today, we are giving tea. It's well-deserved day in the sun, and we are doing so with someone extremely well-qualified to talk about tea and the origins of tea and the tea versus coffee debate. And that would be Ed Eisler, the founder of Jing Tea, which is one of the exceptional tea makers out there. So in this conversation, we talk about Ed's background and what led him to start Jing Tea. And turns out the making and production of tea is every bit as interesting as the making and production of coffee or wine, etc. And as I think is often the case on Crafted, whether you are already passionate about tea or you're somebody who thinks of tea as the bland stuff that they like for some reason over in the UK, well, I promise you, you are going to learn a lot and I am confident that you are going to gain a newfound understanding and appreciation of everything that goes into making an exceptional cup of tea. This episode of Crafted is presented by our Blister Craft Collective, which is a collection of some of our favorite craft companies across a whole lot of product categories. And the companies in our Blister Craft Collective are also supporters of the independent review work we do here at Blister. So we will include a link to the Blister Craft Collective in the show notes of this episode. Take a look at the companies there. Check them out because I am confident that some of our favorite companies in the collective will become some of your favorite companies too. And now let's get to my conversation with Jing T founder, Ed Eisler. Here we go. All right. Well, I am very happy to have Ed Eisler on Crafted. There is no human being on earth that I have talked about tea with more than Ed. And look, I'm not going to lie. That's not to say that we've had thousands of hours of conversations about tea because people know um, I'm, I'm sort of a coffee guy, but there is... No question that Ed has opened up the world of tea for me more than any other human being in the world. And so, Ed, welcome to Crafted. I am excited for this conversation. Thank you. I'm, I'm really excited to have it as well. <laughs> uh, I think we need to provide a little context about how we got to know each other. When's the first time we ever talked? I think it would have been 2018 or 2019. Pretty sure it's 2018. Me too. I think it was 2018. We should say you were a Blister Premier member. I get this email from a guy I'd never heard of who was like, hey, looking for some skis, would love to hop on a call. So I remember, I remember exactly where I was. I was staying at my friend Tom Runcie's house and we did a call. I was in Tom's guest bedroom. We talked about skis. And then I was like, well, tell me more about you. Because I'm like, this guy lives in the UK and I'm we're, we're going a little further. Well, what do you do? And he's like, well, I'm the founder of a tea company. And I was like, oh, cool. I don't know anything about tea. And that we then quickly shifted from really getting into the weeds about skis. And if I recall, we were looking specifically around skis that were 110 millimeters wide How'd I do? Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. Well, 100 okay. to 110, damp, could handle variable conditions, ski anything but mainly off-piste. Um, as things have developed, what I've been looking for is that slightly narrower Black Ops 118 that hasn't quite materialized yet. <laughs> but anyway, let's. we don't need to get into that now, but I'm still waiting. But I got the... Inor the you, you advised me to get the Nordica Enforcer 110, which I'm... 80% happy with. It could just be a little bit more um, stable in rough conditions, but basically it's a very good ski. Mm. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay. But you're still you're still looking for the perfect. Yeah. The perfect. Yeah, being a okay. horrible perfectionist. Um, yeah. Which is uh, not not uh, something I'd wish on anyone. I'm still looking for the for, for something a bit better, but it's a very good ski that 110 Nordica. Yeah, I, I do really like that. But agree with you. Its biggest virtue is not its top end stability. No, no, no. Um, now, just to make sure we're clear here, we still would not be having Ed on Crafted if it weren't the case that Ed is doing things in the T world with Jing. Um, these guys are operating at a very, very high level. And so maybe we can just start uh, to back up for a sec. How would you describe Jing, Ed? Well, Jing, I guess it was born out of my perfectionism in the end and a lot of travel and a real interest in um, amazing tasting food, drink and culture and seeing where it comes from, experiencing it firsthand. And Jing has um, evolved into being um, about single garden, single origin tea that really expresses the unique quality of its place and tea maker and is, uh, embodies a range which is extremely high level connoisseur, but at the same time accessible. So, you know, Jing. Uh, works with consumers, supplying consumers in, in all around the world through the website, and also works with the very top in the luxury hospitality industry, Michelin-starred chefs, more than 100, top oh. hotels. Wow, really? Yeah. And more than 100 michelin star restaurants. Yeah, and, uh, you know, many top um, hospitality destinations around the world. And... Really, the, the 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 truest thing that I wanted it to be, and it has always been, is about an amazing taste experience that is authentic and accessible. And um, I still, I, I believe that it has that just as much, if not even more, now um, versus when it started. So, when did the company start? Well, I, I started it in two thousand and four, and there was a run up to that of me really being into tea from quite a young age. Um, Is that just because that's mandatory? No, it's like in the no, UK, you were forced. Well, well, there's a forced to drink this tea. Not this kind of tea. Actually, most no, of the tea no. that's consumed, <laughs> sure. most of the tea that's consumed <laughs> in the UK is not very high quality. It's a kind of drink. It's, it's a sort of kind of drink. Um, you know, uh, it's 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 strong probably and with milk and has a certain color but it's not a it's not a great taste experience of a, it's just of a particular thing that people get into and that is changing a lot but we won't get into that now when i came along yes um green tea and other kinds of tea were in the ascendancy there was an interest in that um for lots of reasons but not anything like on the level when i started in fact a lot of people in the tea industry here thought I was crazy, actually, um, huh. which which I quite like, actually, because um, it says you're, <laughs> you're at least doing something different, if nothing yep. else. And basically, when I was 16, I was traveling around Europe and um, my dad's side was actually originally from the Czech Republic. And I was going to Prague. I was a bit disillusioned with the uh, hedonistic lifestyle of of teenagers at the time you know involving partying in all kinds of different ways and and I wanted to discover something meaningful I think um and I was sitting in a tea house that I found in off the main square in Prague which served all kinds of tea reading what was I reading some Czech literature to try and get into the whole thing you know uh unbearable lightness of being or something I don't know yeah but anyway <laughs> You know, having a kind of teenage time and drinking all these different kinds of tea, Chinese, um, Japanese, bit of Indian, different types, varieties. And you could do this and read your book and think completely clearly. And I thought this is a like enjoyable experience. It's good for you. I can keep doing what I want to do without being befuddled by alcohol or whatever else it was that teenagers get into, you know. 
And I thought, well, there's something in this. I really like this. It, it grabbed me somehow. And a few years later, two years later, I think, when I was about 19, uh, I went on a, um, a you know, a get what we call in the UK a gap year between, uh, I think, what you call high school and university, right? High yep. school and yep. college, right? Yep. Um, a, a year you take out, you don't have to, but you take it out, you, a lot of people go traveling. I went traveling, backpacking around China. This was like 1998. And uh, it was a character building experience, let's say. Very, very interesting. <laughs> very interesting. I went to lots of people where it seemed like I was the first Western person that uh, they had seen and stuff like that. I'm sure I wasn't, but it really did seem like that. And the food was amazing. The local cultures was amazing, like different cultures in different places, little places. And the tea in these places was really incredible. So I came back with a suitcase of tea. I'd sort of been uh, heavily got into the experience of the tea, the, the, the food, the tea, and actually the Chinese medicine. Those three things I really took from that trip and loved it. And when I came home and got through my stash, there was none left. I didn't know where to get it. And a few years later... I was actually attending some Buddhist teachings in Paris and there were lots of tea shops. And uh, I was kind of like, you could get some of the teas that I, I liked from China and that, that were not bad. They were not great, but they were not bad. And I thought, I kind of get this stuff in England or the, the UK. What, what am I thinking here? And, and, and my thoughts developed and I thought, in my last year of university, I'm heavily in debt. I went to the cash point and I had like zip minus God knows how much money. I thought, I can't, I don't want to work for someone else. I want to do my own thing. Tea's the thing here. And I'd studied Chinese medicine at university as well as a year of Chinese. And I felt like I had some understanding of Chinese. Some like Chinese culture is a huge thing. I wouldn't pretend to say I have an understanding, but some understanding and affinity for that. And I thought, right, I gotta, I'm going to, start a tea company and i was stupid enough to not think of all the reasons not to do it really really yep. like uh <laughs> young and stupid enough to go let's do it and so yeah i i did some research i went to china again i traveled before this in india as well and nepal and i i vision popped into my mind like i have a a, a, a mind that works too quickly I'm not complimenting, it works too quickly. And I had a clear idea of when I traveled around, I had been to tea shops in China and thought, this is good, but it could be done better. That tea's sitting on those shelves, getting old and stale. How do we keep it fresh? How do we make it accessible? How do we really find the good stuff? And I had this kind of like ping of how, how that was going to happen. And actually, somehow it was, it was right. It's born over time. Somehow that was right. And I, I hit lucky on that, if nothing else, right? And so I just thought my perfectionism kicked in and I thought, I want to do this as well as it can be done. Like it's kind of a, a curse really. And, uh, and <laughs> I just had an affinity for tea tasting as well. I could do it somehow. And I tasted so much tea. Uh -huh. I tasted uh -huh. so much bad and average tea. And I found a few good ones and I traveled and I met producers and I saw what they were doing. I had a real interest and a quick mind. And I used everything I had for my, in, my sort of analytical education and growing up in my mum's kitchen garden and seeing how things were grown. A lot of things somehow came together, really. And I was able to meet some really good producers and find tea that blew my mind. And although it was very, very expensive, I brought it back and put it in front of people here and it blew their mind as well. Huh. And I remember um, I was going to a meeting um, actually with a very famous department store, the buyer there. So a, a guy I knew introduced me to him. He knew him. And I brought some tea along that was very, very expensive, like maybe 10 times more expensive than anything they had bought before. Maybe something like that. And the guy I was with sort of was like, what the hell are you yeah. doing? I put the tea in front of him and he tasted it, the buyer. And he looked at me and went, wow. Okay. And he said, how much have you got? And I said, well, I can only get a couple of kilos. Uh, what is that like for five pounds? Uh, in, and, and, and he said, we talked a bit about the price. Anyway, he bought it. It sold out very quickly and it blew people's mind. And 
that was kind of what I wanted to do. In essence, you know, in essence, what's Jing about? It's putting tea in front of people that they will drink and say, wow, that's not what I expected. That's something different. So a couple questions on this already. This is a great story. Had you already full-blown committed to starting the tea company when you had that uh, tasting session with the buyer? Yeah, that was about that was about a year in. So I was lucky. Yeah, that was like a year in. That was not the aha moment. You were already committed by the time you had that. Oh man, I was well away actually. Couple other questions. While you're talking and thinking about, you know, you were talking about 2004. Let's call it the early 2000s. And you were saying maybe at least in the UK, um, tea was not necessarily this big craft uh, vertical. It was obviously, I mean, at least over on this side of the pond, we think of tea as this staple of like UK culture. Yeah. But you're saying it, there was not this elevated high craft category of tea and and where i want to go or the question here is were you looking around at all at other craft verticals like i'm thinking craft beer craft beer is starting to be a thing a bigger thing in around you know the early 2000s 2004 craft coffee is starting to get there a little bit were you paying any attention to that or were you just focused on the story you've already told us no, I was think I was, but I was looking at other things. But I was one thing that inspired me a lot was single malt whiskey, actually. Ah, gotcha. So I looked at that and looked at how, uh, for example, Diageo was marketing single malt whiskey, yep. and they picked of the many that they owned, they picked kind of six, uh-huh. and they had this they these six different ones. And I remember I had bought some of those or got got those because I'd been into single malt whiskey, um, and. The, they'd kind of made something very, um, very special, quite accessible. And that's what I wanted to do because I, 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 I wanted to make something. In China, there's 10,000 teas, perhaps. We don't know the number. That's the number that's thrown around. We're talking a, a huge industry. We're talking amount of land producing tea in China is the same as the entire wine production in Europe. It's, it's big. And there's so many types and varieties, and it's not just red wine, white wine. There's six different categories of tea as well, or or, or perhaps seven. Um, and there's more than a thousand different tea tree varieties. They're all the same, broadly speaking, the same species, Camellia sinensis. But there's at least a thousand different cultivars of that used to produce. So we're talking about a huge subject, massive subject here. So you've got to make it accessible. There's no way I could learn everything about tea. There's no way, no way, no way anyone can. But it's about making it. Um, I wanted that wow factor, but with the accessible. And actually, compared to drinking something like single malt whiskey, you really have to get used to that stuff. Really, yeah. really good tea. You can taste it and go, "Oh, that's delicious." I mean, I've seen that happen thousands of times with people I've been drinking tea with huh. who've never been into tea or never thought about it or anything. Else. I put some tea in front of them and they go, "Wow." really that's amazing what that's just tea that's just tea you know this kind of thing and that's the thing that's kept you know really inspired me and kept me going that's the that's the delightful aspect you know um on on a journey that has uh, at times been very hard i have to say you know uh, building a company is not easy at all um so um so yeah i mean that, that, at that time when I started, it, it come back to come back to your question. It was single malt whiskey that was really interesting, me inspiring me. And I made some friends in wine along the way, um, who we um, and we found a lot of similarities. I don't really drink alcohol actually now. I can't drink wine. I'm allergic to sulfites mm-hmm. actually. So, hmm. but I made some friends in wine who really love tea, and I took them to China and stuff and, and other places, and 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 that was very interesting as well. So, you know, coffee is another one. We can talk about tea and coffee. Uh, um, we will. And yes. we have. And, and we have. And, 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 you know, if you love coffee, in my mind, if you love, I'm not going to be too antagonistic about it because if you love what you love, you love it. There's nothing you can't, can't argue with that. But, you know, in the end, do you, what, what do you want to be? Like, who, who do you want to identify with? The sage on the mountain 
Kung Fu Master, Qigong Master, I don't know, Shaolin, Wu Tang, Wu Dang, or she, you should say, um, uh, or someone in a New York cafe smoking, uh, you know, gray face, oh, gray on. face, shaking, this is... burnt out, has another coffee, feels even more shit afterwards. Uh, or, 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 you know, you choose which one you want, you know, you choose. Uh, I, I was worried for just a second there that you were about to go soft when you're like, oh, you know, I don't want to be too yeah. antagonistic. And then you just yeah. dive into this. So I'm, I'm like, okay, Ed's yeah. back. I was like, Ed's back. That's great. Um, let's go a little bit further. I mean, honestly, I, I, when we first started talking some years ago, I really mm. can't underscore that my knowledge of tea was at like mm. zero. And, um, you know, and so these were some of the questions, uh, or some of the topics that you and I have discussed, but, um, and I just like to think this shows just how open-minded mm. I am. I'm inviting you to come in and, you know, just kind of desecrate one of my favorite things on okay. like okay. earth and one of my favorite things of human existence. So, um, but let's, but let's do it. Let's do it. I mean, like for people listening, um, you know, and sure, there's some people they either don't like the taste of coffee or they're like, ah, it doesn't agree with my stomach. But let me have you kind of spell out for our listeners the case for tea as opposed to coffee. First of all, let me just say, <laughs> I, I, I have drunk a little bit of coffee and I can appreciate coffee, right? It's a It's a drink and it has a certain level of variability in it. It can be rich and comforting. It can be light and fragrant. It can be all kinds of like different things within a certain spectrum. You know, it's got, it's got things, it's got things going for it for sure. But really when you look at tea, you're looking at a much bigger range of flavors, like massively. So you've got everything from intense and dark to very fresh and light and floral and moistening in the palate to something more dry and intense and focused and everything in between. So you've got a huge spectrum here, much, much bigger spectrum. And uh, I think also you've got to look at the chemistry. Actually, tea has nat obviously naturally occurring chemicals in it that don't just wake you up, but relax you at the same time. And that's why it's synonymous with um, certain kinds of Asian culture. A friend of mine called it the, the, the substance of Buddhist communion. I'm not saying that's correct, actually, but you know, the, the, the substance of, of uh, or, or the thing that sustains someone writing Taoist poetry or something, or something um, you, you might drink for engaging in meditation. By the way, none of, none of these things are necessary for meditation. I'm not saying that, not at all. But this waking you up and relaxing you, relaxed focus, something that I think we all like, we all want, right? Rather than wired focus, you know, tea has that kind of benevolent quality to it. Coffee, in my experience, is, it gets you wired and you have a come down afterwards. And I think that it's the substance of speeding up without slowing down. And, you know, for those reasons alone, variety of spectrum of flavor, um, and also how do you drink it? I think, you know, there's a very strong case for tea versus coffee. And, you know, that example I gave, do you want to be the, you know, the, 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 the gray-faced, shaky person another coffee to see if it makes you feel better this time or do you want to be the the relaxed kung fu master on the hill <laughs> oh man in your mind but maybe in your new york apartment or wherever you are or in you know obviously in, in colorado it's very nice but you know in some some wired overclocked place you drink tea you can wake up but calm down at the same time i know what i want to be i know what i like I, I still don't get the avid coffee drinker because I you, maybe you can explain wow. it to me. I still don't get it. Well, 
Yes, we need to we need to we need to hash this out. I don't I don't know, maybe maybe I am so wired, which actually probably everyone in my life would say yes, that is you. I don't feel like I get coffee jitters. I don't experience bad come downs. Um I definitely love the morning ritual of coffee, but this is also something where Obviously, you can get that same ritual element with tea. So I, I think that we're absolutely kind of agnostic on that front. Um, and, you know, this is one of the things we've been doing on Crafted is we really are focused on high, high quality, high intentionality, whether that comes to coffee or beer or winemaking or tea. And so I, I do think there are a lot of commonalities in terms of uh, how, when you're talking about a, a flavor spectrum, right? There's certainly very dark roasted coffees to light roasted coffees, light roasted coffees. I think we can just say at the, at the kind of, um, what's the right word? Not snootiest end of the coffee spectrum, but for people who fancy themselves the most educated, the most passionate, they are all about their light roasts these days and I've said on Crafted, we've talked about it, like these light roasts are veering into, to me, tea territory. So I, 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 I still accept what you're saying. There could very well be a much, many more variations within a spectrum of tea from say dark to light. We have that in coffee, but I'm prepared to accept that we still don't have the full, the, the complete range the complete range of options that that there are in the in the tea world. You're saying that it can it can begin to get into you know. Anyway, no, I didn't I'm, I'm say teasing. that yet. I'm, I'm not, teasing. I'm but... not because I will say this is not me personally. Mm. But you go to the best coffee shops in the world. Yeah, they are probably going to put on display their lightest roasts, lightest roasts. So in that sense, I think you actually might be right. That at the highest levels, by the way, that's not me all the time. I can get down with a good light roast in the way that like I can really enjoy very good teas. Yeah. But on the coffee front, I still kind of like that full bodied. I don't smoke cigarettes, Ed. I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. But I still can get down with that like dank ass espresso. I love that. Maybe I think it's just showing I'm a more versatile human being than you are, Ed. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I, I, as I said, I can, I can appreciate coffee. I can, but it's just not going to be my drink of regular choice. And um, I think if it doesn't leave you with that come down, then you, then then you're lucky. Uh, I know a lot of people do. It does, um, and. Um, the other thing about tea is it's hydrating. It's not dehydrating, and both. I understand coffee is a is is a is a source of antioxidants. I I I think that you know tea has a big spectrum of antioxidants, and um, is is you know that factor is also really important. Are you put on your science hat? Not your. I'm trying to make everybody love tea hat. That's true across the board on teas. Yeah. It is hydrating, not dehydrating. Apparently so. Okay. Th that's what the, and the I should researchers I should that I've dealt you? with have said. And we've also tested many different teas for caffeine levels. We found that there's a lot of BS out there in terms of what, what is being said about certain kinds of tea, like white tea has very low or no caffeine. That's rubbish. A lot of people out there think, oh, white tea, yeah, it's low in caffeine and especially high in antioxidants. It can be high in antioxidants, but not necessarily higher than others. And, and we found that some white teas are among the highest that we tested in, in terms of caffeine levels. So that's nonsense. Um, the black tea's bad for you and green tea's good for you, also nonsense. Both have, um, and it varies from tea to tea, levels of antioxidants, levels of caffeine, levels of other um, chemistry. But um, oxidized teas, so black teas and oolong teas, for instance, um, 
have slightly different antioxidants to green teas, for instance. But both are, uh, uh, seem to be good. Um, very, very good. Uh, it seems like some of the research suggests that um, oxidized teas, so black and oolong, for instance, are more orientated towards cardiovascular health, long-term cardiovascular outcomes being better for high consumers of those teas. And green teas more associated with um, uh, lower levels of cancer and diabetes, for instance, but it's not clear cut. And this is not a medicine. It's not being tested as a medicine. So it's, it's long-term long studies. So those are all encouraging. You know, what? part of what really, I've talked about this somewhere before. I don't know if it was on Crafted or it actually maybe was somehow on our Gear 30 podcast because, you know, of course. Um, big thing that I'm doing these days is I do shut off coffee consumption by 2 p.m. Since I'm usually trying to get to bed by midnight, doesn't always happen. So that really mm. encouraged me to start looking at tea as something that like, okay, my um, routine has been coffee consumption in the morning, but I'm going to shut that down at 2 but I'm still going to be up for another 12 to 14 hours. And, you know, sometimes on cold days or whatever, or just that, that rhythm and ritual of preparing a beverage and sipping on that while working or whatever, that really kind of kickstarted things for me to start exploring the tea space more. So Ed, I think maybe the biggest development, maybe imaginable for my own develop, you know, growth as a human being is if tea starts to become more of not just after my 2 p.m. Mm. ritual, but starts to encroach and invade my coffee time in the morning. So, so the, it, it depends what you're looking for. So tea, tea, if you're looking for something more warming, comforting, um, you know, more along the lines of that coffee that you have at first thing in the morning, warm, I think it has an intensity to it. It has a richness and a fullness to it. You're going to be drinking um, probably a black tea or a, a more oxidized and fired oolong tea. Like, for instance, we've sent you some teas like the Phoenix Duck Shit. Yes, that's that's what it's called. Or one of the Wuyi oolongs. Um, again, tend to be more oxidized and fired. So they have that sort of richness, chocolatiness to them. Um, and that will be good for you. If you want something that's going to refresh you more and be more light, floral, moistening, that kind of thing, then you're going to be drinking a greener oolong or indeed a green tea or even a white tea. So it depends what you want. Okay, let's get, let's talk. First of all, yeah, we've gone this long. And we haven't talked about the fact that I've actually been drinking a cup of duck shit. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this whole time. Um, so you, I'm very clear on my priorities for the morning, Ed. Caffeine. Yes. The greatest drug in the history of humankind. This is what I'm about. I want caffeine and flavor. Okay. Basically up until 2 p.m. Yeah. I mean, any, to be honest, any of, any of the teas made from Camellia sinensis will have caffeine. Flavor, you've got to find... Uh, a tea company that's going to give you something that's got the wow factor in it. So that means full flavored, but not bitter. That's partly to do with how you make it as well. Just like you can screw up really good coffee or any kind of food you buy. You can screw up good tea, but you know, it needs to be full flavored, not bitter and have clear presentation of flavors. You know, when, when we look in my, in my mind and the conversations I've had to define what is good Good tea, good wine, good coffee, not good, good, good single malt, whatever it is. Clear presentation of desirable flavors. Yeah. <laughs> You've got clear presentation of something not very nice. Well, yeah. But, you know, clear presentation of those desirable flavors is, is what you're looking for. They need to be defined. They need to have a good mouthfeel to support them as well. This kind of thing. So if you look at a tea like uh, that, duck shit by the way it's a joke it, teas are called by lots of different things it could be called after the particular tea tree variety that's being used it could be due to do with some legend 
in the area where it's made. It could be named after some whim of the tea maker who first produced it or cultivated and produced it. It could be many different things. This one, apparently, it's because the tea producer discovered a new um, cultivar of Phoenix, which is a particular variety growing in Guangdong province in South East China. Okay. So duck shit, it's... There was a tea producer and he, he had cultivated apparently a new, a new type of uh, cultivar of Phoenix within a certain, um, how can I say, like certain type of tea tree and then different sub-varieties of that, of that called Phoenix, basically. Phoenix is also the area in southeast Guangdong where this tea comes from. And this new cultivar, he found it was really good. And he wanted to keep it a secret because otherwise he thought people would come and take cuttings of it and then it would become famous and he wouldn't have the kind of uh, ownership of it, as it were. And so when someone came and asked him what it was, he said, oh, that's nothing. That's just duck shit, like rubbish, basically, you know. And the, na the name came from that, apparently. But anyway, it's a, it's, 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 it's a joke, basically. So there's particular cultivars being called that. And... We don't buy it every year. This is one of our rare and seasonal types. If it's particularly good in any one year, then we will take it. And this is a really good one. I love this tea. I drink a lot of um, another Phoenix that we carry all the time called Phoenix Honey Orchid. This is, that's also very good, but this is a step higher. You've got more refined presentation of flavor, basically. It's light. It's got a kind of chocolatiness to it and a very light chocolatiness to it. Um, and it's quite sweet and I'm not talking like sugar here. I'm talking, there's a sweetness to it. There's a comforting quality to it. It's mouthfeel is nice and thick as well. It's, it's a really good tea. I, I, I love this one. And in the morning I drink this a lot. I, I wake up. Yeah. This one I drink a lot. The yeah, yeah. This, this, this one, I, I, yeah. I love this one. Um, mm. By the way, I'm definitely, this is very much a like, I'm not worthy moment. I just got done telling the world how I'm a coffee person and I'm sitting here drinking duck shit and you're like, this is absolutely exceptional. And I'm like, yep, I'm quite sure that I have not developed the most sophisticated tea palette on earth. And so I feel bad. I apologize to everyone for this fact. And yet... I mean, this is a hell of a way to get an education into this world, right? I mean, it's one way to do it. I think a lot of people, it's like coffee. I drank terrible ass coffee for decades and finally kind of got to a spot where like I don't do that anymore or very much try to avoid it. So my tea journey, I'm just starting at the mountaintop. That's what that's what's kind of been happening. Well, that's a good thing because what happens is it creates reference points in your mind You've tasted it. That's that the memory of that is retained, and based on that, you discern other things, which is how it goes. Like you could say, people say to me, "Oh, I, I could never taste tea. I can't tell the difference." It's, it's unless they have a problem with their, um, you know, system, and they can't taste very well or can't smell very well. Then I, it's not true. I could line them up, and they could taste. 10, 10 different teas, and we could do that 10 times, at the end of it, they will be much more effective at discerning the difference than they were at the start, right? Ideally, though, you need a kind of gift for it. You need uh, a combination of a mind that will be able to pinpoint what it's smelling and tasting and memorize it and discern. You need that extra level of discernment if you want to be a really good taster. But you could definitely be an okay taster. Um, even if, even if you didn't have those kind of gifts for sure. So it's about familiarity in the end, getting familiar, knowing what's good. And that means tasting different things going, Oh, that's good. I like that. Or why do I like that? Oh, it's a bit better. It's a bit better. And you, you refine your palate through experience, basically. General question for you in the coffee world. I think it's pretty fair to say not a hundred percent true, but the higher up in the kind of coffee world or appreciation of coffee world, I'm trying to not use the word coffee snob world. Like I don't put anything in my coffee. 
And I kind of feel like if I need to be putting something in my coffee or am tempted to, then I should just be drinking a different coffee that suits me better. Now, tons of people and even some of the most sophisticated coffee people I know will have certain types of coffee where they want to add a bit of cream or a bit of milk or something. What is your take on tea? Should tea be had with nothing added other than the water? What's yeah. the like consensus on this? Look, for most of the teas that that, that um, Jing sells, selection sells, for instance, most of them are not going to be very nice if you add milk. You're not going to add milk to green tea. You're not really going to add milk. It's really not going to work with nearly all oolong teas. Maybe one or two, it might work okay. There's some, some black teas you might add some milk, right? And that's very few. So the ones that you add milk to, for instance, would be Assam, Kenyan tea, some, and other African teas, actually, and some Sri Lankan tea. You might add milk to Darjeeling. So we're talking about less than a handful of teas here. There are many other teas that you just wouldn't because it just wouldn't produce a very good result. And so what I think is, yeah, if you had a coffee that is, work, that is for getting a particular taste, that taste of, of particular coffee with milk, which is a kind of drink in itself, then why not? And why not do it really, really well? I mean, for instance, our, our pure Assam, our Assam breakfast, it's single origin, pure Assam, some of the best that is made in every season, really the top of the top. It's designed to be drunk with milk. You can infuse it lighter and drink it without. Generally, Assam is a very intense, brisk, quite tannic, um, assertive tea that works well with milk. That's why you drink it with milk. But, you know, like this Phoenix, you put milk in it, it just kill it. There's no point. You know, would you put, would you put water in a great, <clears throat> would you put water in a great wine? No. You might put a bit of water in a great single malt whiskey. Some people do that to, to open it up. I, 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 if, if, but that's not to modify it in any way. It's this, this, this idea of modification. So, yeah, I think it just what makes sense. If it makes it better and you like it, well, who's to argue with you? But then probably you wouldn't buy a lot of these teas because you'd be kind of wasting, wasting your yep. money, really. Yeah. Now, what about adding honey or lemon? Would those yeah, be the three no, things? That, yeah, no, wait, wait, yeah. wait, wait. Would those be the three things that people are adding to tea? Well, sugar, milk, coffee, lemon. Coffee? Not, not, not Jing super great tea, yeah. but as a, as a culture, tea culture. Yeah, adding, adding lemon to tea, it's, it, yeah, again, you could do that for certain teas if it enhances it for you, but you're creating a kind of drink there. Yeah. That is a different thing. You can add sugar okay. if you feel you want to add sugar. Um, it's it it's up to it's up to you really. But you would then be buying different teas and probably teas of a different standard, basically, if you were going to do that. Yeah, it's that simple. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's true. I mean, you can buy some pretty expensive coffees, and if you're buying those and then just dumping a bunch of creamer in them, I would be like, well, I, well, don't bother. Yeah, and it probably wouldn't be the lighter coffees. It'd be some of the... the, the heavy, heavy. Heavier, the heavier ones, the darker yeah. roasts. Um, and you'd be going for that kind of drink, basically. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Let's talk about tea leaves themselves. Mm. What's the difference between great tea leaves average tea leaves and bad tea leaves so uh it's a combination of factors basically soil aspect relate like how the land lies relative to the weather conditions and the, the sun but also other factors like wind cold etc um and when i say soil i mean the quality of the soil and that doesn't mean it needs to just be any soil. Some soils work better with certain tea tree varieties than others. So it's this interplay of all these different factors, basically. Biodiversity, organic farming. Actually, I've seen that organic is good. It doesn't guarantee that your tea is going to be better if it's got an organic label. Not at all. It depends on a number of other factors too. But biodiverse um, environments with... Um, 
full fertile soils that are not driven by um, chemical fertilizers, which are, are too one dimensional amongst lots of other things. That's a whole nother conversation. But that biodiversity and rich soils and perfect place come together to produce really healthy plants. Those really healthy plants produce really good tea leaves. And, they're, and they're the tea, tea maker, tea grower needs to come along here. Grower being, if we differentiate the two, grower, the one that's growing the, 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 the tea leaves and the maker, the one that's doing stuff to them after they're picked. Um, so the grower needs to set them up in the right place and in the right way. And that produces healthy plants. You see it when you go to the gardens. You see the biodiversity, you see the full buds, the healthy looking plants that are not too intensively farmed. Um, and then it does, does that answer the question? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, this while you're talking, I'm like, wow, this sounds like everything I've ever heard about winemaking. Yeah, it really, it sounds, it really is. It's the sort of almost the same, uh, or, or forgive me for slightly overgeneralizing that, but this sounds awfully similar to, yeah, to how I, we talk about making wine. And I mean, in some parts of the world, you can buy tea for thousands of dollars a kilo. I'm not, I'm not thousands. And so, you know, you can buy some for ten, less than $10 a kilo, for sure. Yeah. You can buy it for 100, 1,000, 10,000. It, it's like that. So it, it's quite a special, it, it's, a very, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very special industry at the, at the, at the top, top end. And then you've got the aspect of how the tea leaves are handled after picking. And there's no singular formula within each, broadly speaking, we've got the six categories of tea, which require six different ways of handling the tea leaves after picking. And then you've got, um, um, you've then basically got the nuances within that, that will produce the particular varieties, basically. So... In terms of the production and different types of farming, the yep. picking, all of this are, is a big part of what adds up to different price points of tea. Yeah. You, you basically got how, in the end, how rare is it and how good is it and how much, how, uh, to what extent is there demand? Yep. It'll come, come down to all those things, basically. It's like any, it's almost anything. Like any, yeah. Whether it's scotch, wine coffee, et cetera. Yep. And it could, could be that something not, not as good as something else is selling at a much higher price simply because there's a bubble, you know, there's, there's a lot of demand for it in a, in, at that particular time. I've got my question that I kind of want to end this yep. conversation with, but before we get there, give me your kind of state of the union of the tea world, like either trends that you're seeing that are interesting Maybe some things that are bad, maybe some things that are good, but like what is happening in the broader tea world as you see it? It, it? it varies from country to country, of course. But the biggest thing that I see is this, the, I, I don't know how to say it, but in a sense, the older generations are looking to see what the younger generations are going to do next. I think that's a question in the tea industry across many different areas. For example, in terms of production, are enough young people going to go into tea production? Are they going to want to stay in the countryside and do that kind of thing? A lot of great tea makers are actually family businesses. They've been doing it for generations. Are the young people still going to, the, the, young, the kids and grandchildren, etc., going to follow the, that path? Um, I have actually seen people who've grown up in the city want to get into tea because they want to get out of the city. So it can go that way as well. In terms of at the other end, at the consumer end, we're seeing more demand for health um, orientated products and also more concern for ethical and environmental factors being considered for sure. So uh, is it sustainable? How is it produced? Was it produced ethically, et cetera, et cetera. There's more and more demand for that. It's becoming actually a, uh, not just an additional point of consideration. It's become a core factor in, in, in consumer choice, basically. 
and also more variety, more exploration. So the, the fact that in, in the UK, at least, a lot of people used to drink tea with milk, that, that whole uh, category of tea is in big decline and has been for a number of years. So the so-called speciality tea market, which is poorly defined, actually, is in great growth and more categories are appearing within that. So, for example, Jing, if you wanted to categorize it as a single garden tea company, there are single origin tea companies, there are blends, there are, you know, these categories are kind of emerging more in a more defined way, basically. There's authentic versus blended stuff like chamomile with chocolate and this. Actually, that doesn't contain any tea. It's the, those are different plants, actually, but they're sort of still broadly speaking within the so-called tea category. Uh, you know, a hot beverage, basically, that is an infusion. So there's all of that kind of confusion, really, that is slowly probably going to clarify itself over the over the next decade, I would say. And I said sort of on the coffee side of things, it seems like, again, generalizations here, but a frontier in craft coffee is really pushing the boundaries of light light roasts and really fruit forward really fruit forward um and or herbal like like i said some of these things it's like wow this is tea on the tea side of things what does the forefront kind of look like whether it's a whether it's going to last as a trend or not do do you see anything where it's like oh this is kind of where all the hotness is right now it's it's i my sense is that Tea is a much more diverse category versus coffee. It's, it's, I mean, authentic tea is definitely in the ascendancy, so-called authentic tea. But also um, other kinds of instant tea are also in the ascendancy as well. We've got these two kind of extremes, basically. And I think... Like so many things that we see in the world at the moment, things are becoming more and more polarized. And I, I think to an extent that is happening within, within tea, tea as well. More hyper-flavored, more blended at one extreme, and at the other extreme, more and more pure, more and more authentic, more and more um, origin-based, basically. Um, I know which, which I'm interested in. I want something that tastes as good as possible and has the clearest and most satisfying presentation of flavor and connects me with where it came from. I think that's very important. And I think it's very important that emotional, mental value is going in the direction of where it came from. We know where it came from. We can appreciate that. We're prepared to pay a premium for it. That's very important. And it is a big part of money going up, uh, up a value chain, basically. Um, that's a whole bigger conversation, I think, though. Um, and I think uh, a lot of the trends are pushing people to want to know more about where about where things have where things have come from, for sure. Totally, and I think we're seeing that across craft verticals. And you're just confirming for us that that's very much true in the tea world as well. Yeah, there, there are more and more companies popping up selling more authentic tea that is claiming that it has better flavor, basically. And there's a proliferation of those companies. And there's within the big tea companies that have been around for a long time, they are acquiring and uh, acquiring companies that, that, that do that a little bit. And they're also releasing their own brands. Uh, or, or ranges that are that are that are going in that direction for sure as well. And just to be clear, are you saying this as kind of bullshit, or like no, it's actually true? Like I think, I large, think mid, large. The, I think the middle of the market is getting more that it's getting hotter and more focused. So the mid market, you know, it was all about bottom of the market. It was a race to the bottom, yeah. and then the bottom yeah. became far too boring. No one yeah. was interested in it. And the interplay of health and connoisseurship increased. And that meant the middle of the market's getting hotter now. And so there are some okay teas there, actually. There are some okay, much, much better than they used to be. Are they uh, what I would like to drink? No. 
but they're not bad and they're improving. And I think ultimately that it, it's creating this pyramid basically, which is more populated right from the top to the bottom. That's what I'm seeing happening. I mean, one big difference between tea and coffee, for instance, I mean, what always amazes me about coffee, just to come back to the coffee thing, I, a point that I want to make is the way that people queue up. Like in, in, yeah. in I'm not going to say any names here. I, I don't yeah, know, yeah, yeah. But yeah. You, you go to the most ordinary coffee uh, yeah. brand. There's thousands of those ones, right? <laughs> and that, that line, it takes 20 minutes to get a drink. Yeah. Even if it's on the by the side of the road, I just want some water. I've got to wait while people are queuing up for their barista-made coffee that is actually pretty rubbish anyway. Yeah. Tea is so much quicker and easier to make. To and brew. Can, to brew, not necessarily yeah, yeah, to, to, to produce infuse. and all that. No, 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 but no, to, no, no, yeah, no. Yeah. To, to infuse. Okay. If you go to a tea master who can really make it well, you may think you've made it well, then he, then he or she makes the tea for you, the same tea leaves, but you're like, this can't be the same tea. That's, that's mastery level, okay? That, that definitely exists within tea. But on a, you know, in a, in a coffee, in a tea house, a coffee shop, a restaurant, a hotel, when you drink tea out of home, tea is much easier to, gotcha. to, to make for you than, than the this coffee. Is a, this is a hell of an argument you're now making, and it took you an hour to get there. That's actually a great point because we talk about this all the time. We've done multiple episodes about the coffee gear and some, I mean, there, there's a massive range. There's some interesting options that are quite inexpensive to brew coffee, but you can get into the $10,000, $20,000 espresso machines. And it sounds like you're saying there, I, I really like this point. You're saying it is much easier to brew tea well yes. than it might be at the, with coffee. Yeah, there's a to few not things mess you need up, to get, right? To not mess up the product. Yes, and you can spend uh, uh, thousands of dollars on an amazing handmade teapot, and we won't get huh. into that now, or some <laughs> okay. very special porcelain. <laughs> if but I that, end up buying a $1,000 teapot, I am I'll, coming I, after you, and we're going to fight. because $10,000, $20,000. Oh, no. no, no, really. Okay. But you, you, at that level, it's not, necess not necessarily going to make that much difference to your tea, actually. Yeah. Okay? But you need great water. You need a small teapot that fits the capacity of what you're pouring into. So your teapot should not be bigger than your cup. Oh. You want to pour it all in one. Wait, wait. But for boiling the water, we can a get a big... Okay, get, get, the kettle... Get kettle. I, let's get I wouldn't our use a right. plastic kettle. Do you want to be ingesting plastic? No, no use a pure stainless steel kettle. Yeah. For instance... But the cup, the cup is... You guys send... These are really cool yeah i don't know what to call this it's called a tier so it's our tier so it, it's uh it's basically it's like a cafetiere but it's without the plunger you don't want to press tea you don't want to squeeze out um some of the astringency from it but it the top works a bit like a cafetiere it's designed to fit your average mug and your average mug is I, 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 I'm sorry, but we're talking about 250 mils, but it's a cup size, basically. I think an, a, a European and American cup size is slightly different, but basically a cup size. You put the right amount of tea leaves in, you pour over good quality water that's ideally soft and filtered, doesn't contain chlorine and other things because those will kill the flavor. Um, and the dissolved solids will dampen down the flavor as well. So soft clean water, you pour over the right amount and you leave it for the right amount of time and then pull it, pour it out fully. You don't leave the tea to stew. So at the right time, you pour it all out. Just like when you're cooking something, you don't take some of the food and let the rest cook while you're eating the first portion. No, you, you take it all out at the right time and eat it. Same with the tea. When it's infused to the right level, you pour it all out to the last drop and those last few drops make a big difference actually. So right down to the last few drops, then you enjoy it fully. And many of the teas, great teas, you can infuse many times. So some twice, some five times, some even 10 times, uh, you know. So, so. wait, wait, Just, I'm sitting here. I've got my, how do I say this word? Uh, spell it for me. T-R? T-E-A, like the word tea, the tea you drink, dash I-E-R-E, -E, like kaffir, tier. 
cafetiere. It's a bit, a bit, almost the same. Um, okay, and, so so you've got your tea there with some tea leaves in it. You should yeah. reinfuse them. You Sweet. should pour over more boiling water because from that Phoenix duck shit, you could infuse it at least three times. At three? Least, yeah, at least three times. But don't leave it overnight or something or all no, day no. and then go back and reinfuse it. The tea leaves shouldn't really get cold because once they get cold after the first infusion, they change a bit and, and they're not so desirable, that, uh, that, or at least the flavor they produce is not so desirable. So pour over more boiling water now. It'll be fine. Leave it a little bit longer than you did the first time and then enjoy Just, it again for sure. Okay. So you're saying I am going to literally do this after we end this call. I'm yeah. going to go two more times for sure. With this, these duck shit leaves in this yes. tea air. I'm sounding so British already. I mean, I guess Ellsworth, that's pretty British. Yep. Just get just getting back to my roots here, Ed. Thank you. No worries. Yeah, infuse it more times. And the other thing is, if you find the tea's too weak, again, yeah. you, what you want is full flavor, but not bitter in your to your own palate. And if it's too weak, you've either not used enough tea or you've not left it long enough. And if it's too strong, again, you use too many too 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 many tea leaves or infuse it too long. So you just play with it like that. Gotcha. And, 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 you know, that's how you go. I, I feel like your Socrates, you know, the charge against Socrates was he, he corrupted the youth. I feel like that's <laughs> what you're doing to me here. I'm living my happy coffee life, just, just a blissful existence. And you just come in and you've just been, it's taken some years. Look, when you're skiing, when you're skiing yeah? you need relaxed focus. You need relaxed focus, right? I don't. I don't know. I just, I'm, we're gonna. You, you, you can't be too full. when you're skiing. You can't be too wired. Basically, if you're too wired and too tight, and you know you're going down a couloir. Uh, I don't know what you guys call it. Do you call it a couloir? couloir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going down yeah. a couloir. You, you're going you're attacking it. You got to be relaxed because suddenly there's a rock that you that you didn't know that was there, or an icy bit, or different snow or whatever, you need relaxed focus. Tea, tea naturally provides relaxed focus. Really. <laughs> so wait a second, you're literally ending this conversation with the claim that tea will make us all better skiers. I would definitely ski better after drinking lots of tea versus lots of coffee, definitely. And, and I can say that, that that is the experience of a lot of people I know. Whatever they're doing, work, play, tennis, uh, board meeting, uh, lunch with friends, <laughs> they prefer tea versus coffee. Try it. Wow. Really. I, I'm the, going the, the to. Chemistry, I... The chemistry backs it up. The chemistry backs it up. Seriously. Wow. I, like I said, I, I feel like I don't, I, some, I don't quite like what's happening here. I'm worried about, I've, I really like my life, my routine. And you're troubling things, and uh, but I promise you, I, I'm going to continue with my certainly my 2 p.m. after 2 p.m. Uh, movement with tea, and I I today I'm gonna just be drinking duck shit till 2 p.m. and we'll see if I start to evolve, um, you know, on this whole on my coffee time. We'll see if coffee time gets interrupted and. I will keep you posted, of course. But That's a good think experiment. We'll, yeah, and, and we'll, we, Look, we're going to do this. You're super discerning. You're super discerning. And uh, it will be a very interesting It'll be a very interesting thing to see. Yeah, and um, what I can say for now is this is really cool. And what, what I love about these crafted conversations is just opening up, sometimes demystifying, but in a lot of times opening up these incredible categories that have, I mean, it's tea. It's been around for millennia, right? And getting a better understanding of how these worlds work and kind of what matters and what doesn't. And um, it's fascinating. And, and I have so enjoyed our conversations along these lines and think you, um, you are a great spokesperson, Ed, for, you know, tea in general. Um, and I love the brash claims at the end that, you know, tea's going to go make me a better skier. I mean, I'm heading to Alaska tomorrow, so I should probably just start crushing as much tea as possible. 
because uh, if there was ever a time to be skiing better, you know, better than ever before, I'm, I'm going to the place uh, well, where I, that would I, make I, a lot of well, sense. Look, I hope you have fantastic conditions and you're in the best state of mind and body to enjoy it as much as you can. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, Ed. I look forward to the conversations we'll have offline. And then I look forward to bringing you back on oh, Craft. Really great to talk to you. Uh, I have to say, in my opinion, Blister, I, I love what you do. There's a level of connoisseurship and attention to detail there and expression of nuanced experience that um, really spoke to me and spoke to my level of connoisseurship as well in tea. And although they're completely different, there's, a, there's an overlap there. And I really appreciate what you do. And I really ask you to keep doing it and doing it as well as you've been doing it for as long as possible because it's fantastic. Thank you very much, Ed. Um, I will let you go. We will talk very soon. All right. Thank you. Well, that's it for this edition of Crafted. I want to say thanks to Ed for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. And if you are enjoying these deep dive explorations of the broader world of craft, then we would appreciate it if you would take just a second to leave us a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. And that will let us keep this whole thing going and growing. Thanks, everybody, and we will talk to you again real soon here on Crafted.